Engaging Abused Women on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. This week on the podcast, we have in studio with us Pam Gannon. I am so delighted to uh, have Pam here speaking, particularly on this topic. I think it's a a helpful topic. Uh, She goes to Grace Bible Church there in Bozeman, Montana. My wife and I actually, just before we are recording this podcast, had a wonderful dinner with with she and her husband, Dan. And um, just to hear the ministry that they're doing there, I'm so grateful. Pam is an ACBC certified member. One of the things that you need to know about her as well is at our 2018 annual conference, Pam uh, shared with us her testimony and story. To me, one of the most impactful, moving expressions of the beauty of God's grace, compassion, kindness, mercy. And so, Pam, I'm so grateful to be in studio with you for us to record this podcast, to talk about this very difficult issue, uh, to talk about this issue that is um, certainly growing in our society. And so, uh, thank you so much for your message at the annual conference, but then also being here and being willing to talk about this issue. Yeah, my pleasure. So as we think about engaging abused women, sometimes we're we're a bit nervous to do that. Sometimes we wonder, you know, how should the church manage and handle this? Uh, what is their role and responsibility? How do we navigate some of the issues uh, relative to, um, you know, legal uh, responsibilities and that sort of thing. We, we've done a lot of podcasts talking about some of those distinctions, and they're helpful, and we need to move in those directions. But sometimes those fears of what not to do or we're going to do this wrongly keep us from engaging in real ministry. And so as we talk about what, what you engage in in biblical counseling, you've engaged um, with a lot of ladies who have found themselves being abused. And so I think it's important for us to consider and to know it's our responsibility as biblical Christians to engage ladies who find themselves or any one uh, victim of an, uh, of abuse, that we engage them where they are. So as we think about engaging abuse victims, uh, what kind of things do we need to understand in order to engage those who have been abused, abused women in particular, with compassion and grace and mercy? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. You know, each person is obviously unique, but abused people do have some common struggles that we just need to be aware of. Uh, They're fearful, they're ashamed, they have feelings of guilt for what they're going through or have gone through. They might be angry, they might be in despair and feel helpless. Um, They're probably going to be having trouble with all kinds of relationships. They don't quite know how to do them. There's misunderstandings about trust and love. They're just, they're confused about um, life and how to do it. And we're going to have to address all those issues at some point in our counseling. But when you first meet, you can see typically that these are just broken people. You know, they, they belong in the weak and the faint-hearted categories that we find in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. They are afraid, and they're likely afraid of you. They want to protect themselves, and they're just, they're just afraid to be hurt again. They want to know that you are a safe person, that you're not going to crush them with how you approach them or what you say. They tend to be afraid. It's interesting to meet with them. It's They tend to be afraid of like sudden noises or movements. You'll see them startle very easily. So you want to meet in a quieter place, maybe with minimal distractions. 
Um, they're afraid of being controlled by others. So we've got to just keep that in mind and just be super gentle with them. Um, they may be afraid to sleep, so they might be coming in exhausted. I mean, there's lots of things to think about when you think about um, women who are fearful. And then they tend to be ashamed. They don't even almost look at you uh, when you first meet with them. They just look down the whole time. And that's okay. You know, as they gain trust, uh, they're going to glance at you more and more. Uh, they're ashamed because sometimes they have been led to believe that the abuse is their fault if they're in it now or if it's happened to them in the past, they just carry the blame and shame for that. Um, and oftentimes the perpetrator tells them that actually, that they are at fault here. They're ashamed if it is a sexual nature to talk about the intimate details and they just, they kind of want to just imagine that it's not real. They want to pretend it's not real. So they're ashamed and they're confused. They don't know why God would allow these bad things, why other people didn't help them, who, you know, who's going to help me now? Are you really going to help me? How do I relate to people? I don't fit in. They don't understand what oftentimes what love looks like because love has been used um, in wrong ways with them. They're confused about guilt and innocence and they're kind of being trained by evil in their conscience and so their conscience needs complete retraining. So they're afraid, they're confused and they're ashamed and because that's true, they may be doing all kinds of things to try to escape the thoughts of the bad things. So one of the things that I would recommend is just try not to be shocked by some of the things that they tell you or what they have done to handle the past. You have to look underneath what they're telling you. Look underneath the sin and see the pain um, because they're using those sinful escape methods a lot of times because they believe that that's going to help them. It's going to relieve their pain. And so um, sometimes they tell you shocking things. So be ready for that. They may test you, actually, because they don't trust people um, oftentimes. And so they might test you by looking like being angry when you didn't expect them to be angry or avoiding you. Um, that you and that just surprises you. So persevere. This is not a, a quick fix. It's not an easy thing. It's just going to take them some time to see why what they're doing is wrong and destructive. Also, another caution I would say, because they're so afraid and ashamed, is that they're going to feel very condemned at correction mm -hmm. because they're already full of shame. And so just correct them very, very gently. Um, scripture tells us, that weak and faint-hard people need help and they need comfort and encouragement. And so we uphold them. Yep. That's what we need to do. So listening to you describe that, I think, really helps me as a counselor in how we approach uh, someone who is weak and timid at the moment that um, we're helping to overcome some of their predispositions mm -hmm. because they're waiting on, you know, when they respond in anger, they're waiting for that to be a trigger for somebody to, to yeah. lash out in abuse or harsh language or something like that. And yep. so to, to be able to, to come in calm, with compassion, uh, being willing to correct, but to do it in a way that understands where that person is and how they've been treated consistently, um, whether right or wrong. And so uh, that really helps to bring us back to a point of center to really see uh, through the lens of Christ with deep uh, compassion for the person where they are, meeting them where they are. So you've convinced us, okay, we can engage this is how we should do it. This is the disposition that we should have, knowing some of the predispositions that uh, someone who's been abused 
how they may come into the office, and they've overcome a lot, right, in in fears and lack of trust and so on to, to come into the office. Yeah. And so now, what do we do? What are some of the key elements uh, in our counseling approach as we're approaching to uh, help and engage uh, this abuse victim? Sure. I think the very first thing you want to do is reassure them that they're not alone anymore because you're there and and you love them. Let them know they don't have to manage this crisis alone because if they haven't reported it, and a lot of abused people do not report, so if they haven't reported it to anyone, they're going to have felt alone for a long time. And you want to reassure them that you're going to help. You're going to be there, and God is going to help. God is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit, Psalm 34 says. And he heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. It's, it's beautiful. Scripture is truth. So you might want to tell them, you know, I'm going to walk with you, and I, I want to be helpful to you. That's my goal. I want to bring you the best help that there is in God so that you can become the person that he wants you to be. And next, I, you just have to listen with compassion. You have to give them lots of time to tell their story. You have to be exceedingly patient and kind. Um, I think a mistake sometimes we can make is to just push too hard and too fast for information. So just remember it's going to take somebody a long time to deal with the crime and its aftermath. They may have, again, because of their difficulty in trusting people, they may not trust you right away. So you can tell them. You know, I don't, I don't want to add to your hurt unnecessarily, so I'm not going to push you to tell me things beyond with what you're okay with telling me at this point. So I'm, I'm going to actually let them know that, and usually, you know, they'll, they'll come a point where they are ready to share with me. So when they do tell you about that abuse, when they do share with you what's going on, you have to really watch your countenance. Mm-hmm. Don't look shocked. Um, be grieved. Um, be very grieved. Uh, gently show them your sorrow, um, but try not to look shocked. Um, that's going to scare them. Weep, weep with them, right? You're going to share their sorrow. Be willing to step into the grief and the ugliness of the evil you're going to hear about. You know, uh, when we share their burden, we're we're now bearing it with them, as as Christ tells us to in Galatians six to bear one another's burdens. I think it was Bob Kellerman who said, shared sorrow is endurable sorrow. And I think, I think that's right. So you might tell them, you know, I am, I am so sorry that you have gone through this. And, you know, to express our sorrow in that way is not denying the goodness of God's sovereignty in using suffering for good. It's just simply acknowledging that there is real damage here and there's destruction that sin causes. As they tell their story, uh, just be careful not to deny it or question if it happened. Believe them unless there's good evidence to the contrary, because uh, think about it. It takes a lot of courage, as you said, to walk into the counseling room and for somebody to finally share what's actually feeling so shameful to them. So try not to close them down with expressions of disbelief. And you can actually... You know, I think appropriately show them what it's like to be angry and not sin. I'll often use, when I'm explaining to counselors, I'll often use the Tamar story to explain to them how they should not be responding to uh, these stories of abuse. You may know the story about Tamar. That was David's daughter, and she had a brother named Absalom and a half-brother named Amnon. And Amnon had those strong sexual desires for Tamar and deceived her and violated her by force and then threw her out, and Tamar went away 
crying loud. And then David, her father, found out and he was angry, but he didn't do anything. He was passive. Absalom found out. And after two years, he took the opportunity to kill Amnon. And so obviously neither of those is a good response. I think the right response for counselors is to be angry and let that anger motivate you to help your counselee seek justice and not vengeance. So your response, I think, of godly anger can be comforting in that they can see they there is a way to be angry about this that is appropriate, and there are appropriate ways, righteous ways even, to express it. Even the topic of justice, I think, is an important one for us. We, we want to strive for what God strives for. Uh, he is certainly the judge of all the earth. He will do what's right, and he is a just God. And so for us to long for that, for those who have been oppressed and those who have been taken advantage of, it's absolutely appropriate for us to be, uh, even in a, a righteous way, to be angry at uh, what's happened, what's been done to them, because it is a wicked thing. It is an evil thing. I, I think that's very healthy uh, for us. And what we're doing is we're helping set the set the the counselee up in in a way to say uh, we're identifying what God says is evil. And what God says is good. And what you've gone through is in the category of evil, and God would see it as such. So I think that's important. Now, we want to deal with real life, and the Bible is not afraid to represent real, raw questions, questions that people have because of experience that they're walking through in life. And sometimes those questions are, man, they're hard questions to, Mm. to answer. Uh, I think about in, in a situation of abuse, a frequent question you know, that we might get is something like, why in the world would God, who we, he, we see, we see he, that he's good in the scriptures, we hear people proclaim all the time that he's good, why would he allow these things to happen? So what are some of the principles uh, that you might utilize to navigate this type of question? Yeah, that's, that's a great question because we do get that question uh, frequently. So I think what we want to do is help the person see that God's word actually gives us wisdom to deal with that question. So first, I want to talk about what we do know about God. That's probably where I'll start. So I'll start with, we do know that God is good and he's sovereign, he's wise, he's holy and perfect in all his ways. And he's, he's never the author of wrong. So Genesis 3, you can point him there. It shows that it wasn't until man chose the way of Satan rather than the way of God that evil and suffering entered the world. And the suffering and sorrow that we are seeing and they are seeing, they're facing it, is not the work of an unkind God, but it's a consequence of sin because sin brought the suffering and destruction into the world. We do know that. So when they're confused and angry about that, they have to place their blame for it squarely on man's sin. And I think... um, Suffering, if we look at it rightly, actually gives us a glimpse of just the evilness of sin. It really does. Why a perfect God hates it. So um, that's where I would start is just to say what we do know about God. Mm -hmm. And then I would tell them, frankly, there are many things we don't know. And so I'm going to talk about the fact that it's actually okay not to know the precise answers to why questions. So God doesn't actually require us to understand things that he has not revealed. So beyond the general understanding of why suffering is in the world, which we've just told them, um, we can't always know. There are secret things. It's a, it's a Deuteronomy 29, 29 issue, right? The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are things that we know and that we can um, trust, that we do know about God, but many things we won't know. And 
sometimes I use this analogy. I actually use this a lot in counseling. And uh, I try to explain it like this. It's kind of like suppose that you came across an anthill, okay? And let's say that I drew a line across an ant's path or I disrupted the sand in some way. The ant would have no idea what just happened. And it would just start running around doing ant things, <laughs> right, to fix it. It wouldn't even know I was there. It, it can't fathom my life. Mm -hmm. So now suppose, though, that I wanted to explain my life to this ant. Mm -hmm. Suppose that I wanted to explain uh, computers and air travel and stars. Mm -hmm. I can't possibly explain those things to an ant. And, and why not, mm -hmm. right? Uh, because it has an ant brain. Mm -hmm. it, it's incapable of understanding the ways of people in the universe. And if I could become an ant, I might be able to communicate to it in some ways, but I'm always going to be limited mm -hmm. in what I tell them because of their imperfect capacity for knowledge. And that's okay. You know, the ant knows all it needs to know in order to function as an ant. And in a similar way, we are creatures. We really are. We're just human brains, and we, we cannot possibly understand all the ways of God. His, his ways are far greater than we can grasp. But he has revealed to us enough. He's given us enough to enable us to live life well to his glory. So I think I would sum up my answer to their question by pointing out that what we do know is enough. Mm -hmm. It's enough. Humility accepts the fact that we live with unanswered questions. But God has revealed to us everything that we need to know. Second Peter 1, 3 to 4 tells us that. So that's the approach I would use to help strugglers deal with questions that arise in the face of their evil that's been done to them. That's such an important point when we think about God and his grace, mercy, and ability to restore. It's not a prerequisite that we know why. Uh, and so thank you for the encouragement, Pam. This is so helpful, as certainly as we as counselors are going to continue to deal with this type of situation more. And we need to be bold, but we need to be compassionate in the way that Christ did. I think you've expressed that very well. So thank you for, uh, for encouraging us in this way. My pleasure. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. I want to remind you that Pam shared her testimony with us in 2018 at our annual conference, Light in Darkness, Biblical Counseling and Abuse. Just like that conference where we had over 50 breakout sessions and six plenary sessions where we were talking about the subject of abuse, we at ACBC are trying to uh, encourage and equip our people to handle these very difficult issues. And we want to make sure that you're aware of the resources that we have. And so can I encourage you to go to our website to find this uh, plethora of resources that can encourage you and your church as you're going to encounter a situation where you have the opportunity uh, and privilege to minister, minister to someone who has been abused. And so we want to encourage you to take God's word, to be wise, to be compassionate, to be merciful, to be kind, to demonstrate the compassion of the Lord Jesus in their life. And so take advantage of these resources and you can find those resources at biblicalcounseling.com.